Last week, we mined the Proverbs, exploring what the sages uh, taught us concerning having a biblical work ethic. In other words, what God's Word teaches us, especially in Proverbs, concerning our work. We discovered that hard work, industry, and diligence were the praiseworthy qualities that were exemplified and ones that yielded a reward. Hard work and diligence has a payoff, has gain, has a reward. It actually enriches. It is the path of wisdom. Recalling to mind, there are two paths that are continually contrasted in Proverbs. The way of wisdom and the way of folly. Righteousness and wickedness. Those two paths are always before us. And diligence is the right path, the path of wisdom. We took a few moments to, to kind of craft a brief theology of work to start. And we looked at three specific things before we began to look at that, that aspect of the diligent worker. And the first uh, thing that we always need to understand is that work is good. And the reason work is good, because you might be saying, man, it's not always good. I don't like it sometimes. Well, we said work is good because work was something assigned to man, given to man prior to the fall. God creates man, he takes Adam, he puts him in the garden, he puts him there to work. The sinless perfection of God's creation, what is Adam doing? He's working. He's cultivating the earth. It's the dominion mandate. He's to subdue the earth, he's to take dominion, he's to extend the garden reality throughout the world by by his cultivation, subduing, and dominion. This is something that God baked into the uh, created order. And he declared that it's good. So we as Christ followers, professing Christians, need to see that work is good. But the second reality that we looked at is that work is hard. And the reason work is hard today and challenging and difficult is because of man's sin and rebellion, the fall. Because of the fall, God pronounced a curse upon the ground. And that curse was that Adam, guess what? In order for the ground to produce for you, you're going to have to work hard. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to come easy. There'll be blood, sweat, tears, toils, thorns and thistles are going to grow. And you're going to continually have to work to cultivate the earth, to push, push back the encroachment of the curse on the earth in order for you to even eat. So work becomes hard. It becomes difficult. Difficulty of work is, is, is part of the environment and experience of work in our day. And lastly, we looked at the reality now that work is redeemed. Work is redeemed, right? The good news in all of this is that because of Christ's work of redemption, our work now takes on new meaning. Our work is transformed. We get to work now not just to eat. We actually get to work to the glory of God. Our work becomes worship as it always has intended to be and to be done to the glory of God. It takes on a whole new meaning and purpose. It's not something we hate. It's not the necessary evil that we have to endure to be able to get what we need and want. It is something that is infused with glory and with great purpose. And if, and if we're followers of Christ who've been redeemed by him, then that is our perspective concerning all work. Now today, we are going to look uh, and turn our attention to the other end of the spectrum from the diligent worker. Now we're going to go all the way to the other side and look at the sluggard, otherwise known as the lazy person. Now, we're going to explore what Proverbs teaches concerning the outcome of the lazy person. We'll look at laziness, and we'll look at the life of laziness and what it produces. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, like, why is this even a theme to bring up? Is laziness even all that bad? Like, is that a big deal for us to spend an entire Sunday's message talking about laziness? What do you think? <laughs> right? Many people don't consider laziness a big deal. The thing is, God's Word does. And it's not just God's Word that considers it a big deal. It's God's order and design in the world that demonstrates to us continually that this is a big deal and something to be addressed and dealt with. I think parents begin to see this tendency in their children early on, don't you? It's like laziness is just kind of embedded in the human DNA. At some point, through our fallenness, 
We have this tendency. We still experience it even into adulthood, but we see it in our kids. How often have we told them something to do, and they don't do it, and we come back, why did you do it? What do they tell you? Oh, I forgot. I'm too tired. (laughs) There's a laziness bent in there. And you know, when they're little, you might go, how cute that is. Oh, they're cute. They're so forgetful. It's not cute. (laughs) It really is not cute. It gets pretty old, uh, and it's something that we have to address. In fact, I think we're going to see through God's Word today that slothfulness, laziness, is a sin with devastating consequences. It's a big deal. It's the path of folly, which we're told is the road that leads to destruction. So because it's a big deal, we're going to deal with it today. Thomas Brooks, a 17th century Puritan preacher, wrote in a work of his called The Privy Key of Heaven, says this concerning a warning to the idol. By doing nothing, men learn to do evil things. It is easy slipping out of an idle life into an evil and wicked life. Yes, an idle life is of itself evil. For man was made to be active, not to be idle. Idleness is a mother sin. It's big, big category right there. A breeding sin. It is the devil's cushion on which he sits and the devil's anvil on which he frames very great and very many sins. I love how the Puritans put things into perspective for us, right? Beautiful imagery and language. The idle person is the cushion upon which Satan sits upon and can work and, and, and work out all sorts of evil. But here's the challenge for us today as we're going through this, and you might be sitting there. Our challenge is that those who really are lazy often do not think they are lazy. And when they think of laziness, they have a standard of laziness they're looking towards and and thinking, compared to that part, they don't do anything. They don't work. I at least work. I get up and go to work. Right? Someone else is our standard of laziness, and we don't tend to see ourselves as lazy or slothful. Uh, and, and, and that's an area that might be a challenge for us today. So my prayer has been this week as I've been preparing and thinking for all of this is, is God convict our hearts concerning laziness, that we begin to see it for what it really is, what, it, what a sinful behavioral and, uh, behavior and pattern that can be in our life that does not lead to life, it doesn't lead to flourishing, and ultimately uh, is destructive, all right? So let's begin to look at the individual Proverbs and, and develop a portrait of the sluggard. Last week, we developed a portrait of the diligent worker. Now we're going to look at a portrait of the sluggard. And as I did last week, I'm, I'm going to kind of bring together this larger theme of laziness, and there's just kind of some sub-themes that we see uh, under all the different Proverbs and try to group them together for us uh, to make it a little bit easier for us to grab hold of. The first proverb we're going to look at today uh, gives us a really complete picture of the outcome of the life of laziness, right? Then we'll look at six larger themes under the topic of laziness, okay? First, let's turn to Proverbs 24. We're going to read 30 through 34. Hear the words of the Lord. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. These are the words of the Lord. What we find here, remember this is Solomon writing a letter to his, to his son and largely to his sons and really all the youth of Israel in his time. He's observing here the field of the sluggard, a lazy individual, a man, he says, who's lacking sense. Now, the person lacking sense in Proverbs is also called a fool. So this is the fool that's in view here. And this man's laziness is evident to everyone. Because everyone can pass by his house and see, this dude doesn't work. He hasn't done anything 
to, to cultivate his fields, to prepare them, to grow and to produce. And right now, what's the condition of his fields? They're overgrown with thorns. The grounds are covered with nettles. Nettles are, are, are it's vegetation with spiky leaves, right, that, that uh, kind of will sting you if it comes in contact with your skin. It's not a pretty picture being painted of this person's down. And, and it says that the stone fence surrounding its property is broken. It's broken down. There's gaps, right, in, in, in the boundary of his property. He's not working the grounds. He's not cultivating the vines to produce Wine, wine that he could sell, right, to earn a living and be able to purchase other food in order to survive and live. This man lacks the requisite work ethic and drive necessary uh, for survival. And now the sage Solomon here makes this observation. He learns from what he observes. Notice how he says there, then I saw, considered it, and I received, looked and received instruction. This is what wisdom does. A man of wisdom, a woman of wisdom, knows that wisdom is going to teach you that there is an order to the world. God has designed the world to work a certain way. And when we try to live outside of that order, it will have tragic consequences. When you live by God's design and God's order, generally in this world, things are going to work out. This man would be working his field would be cultivating the ground, caring for it, and then eventually it is going to produce for him. He's going to trim the vine branches and and take care of them and water them and fertilize them, and eventually there's going to be grapes, and those grapes then can be used to become wine later on. But this man is bucking the way the world is supposed to work. Okay, The curse has told us, because of the curse and the ground being cursed, It's going to take hard work for that ground to produce. It's going to take hard work to stop and subdue the encroachment of the thorns and the nettles. And hard work will subdue that. We have to be productive in order to produce. And if we're not productive and we don't produce, then there's no provision for ourselves and for our families. But what do we find about this man? He's not sweating. He's not working hard. He's not toiling the ground. Weeds have overtaken his field. He has every resource at his disposal to produce. He has fields. He's got vines. But look at the condition of it at this point. It's all falling apart around him. What a perfect metaphor for the lazy person, the sluggard. He's overcome by his laziness and he's broken down. Then we have the all-too-familiar verse of Proverbs here, right? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This man that he observes here loves sleep. He loves sleep. He's a couch potato. He loves his leisure. He loves his life of ease and comfort, and the result is disastrous. He will come to poverty. Maybe not right away. But the eventual outcome of that is what God's word declares here. And you can almost just kind of feel Solomon pleading with his sons through the Proverbs concerning diligence and and, and, and laziness to pleading with them not to live against God's design for the world. Especially his design for us to work in order to produce. And that producing will eventually lead to provision. Solomon's telling us here, if we don't do what needs to get done, if you love sleep more than you love work and productivity, then your life will be in disorder. And a life of disorder will lead to impoverishment uh, and eventually the inability to take care of yourself and your family a sobering picture of the sluggard and I want that to kind of stay before us an overgrown field thorns nettles and a broken down wall is the life of the sluggard now let's look at one of the themes that emerges here and we already began to look at it here and it's this number one that the sluggard has undisciplined sleep habits undisciplined sleep habits Proverbs 6, 10 and 11, this is one that we've looked at in the past. A little sleep, a little slumber, 
a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is repeated a few times in Proverbs here. And that, in, in chapter 6, that proverb follows Solomon's instruction to his son to look at the example of one of the smallest things in God's creation, the ant. In fact, he says to the sluggard, look to the ant. You are so lazy that the only example I can give you at this moment and the less life lesson you need to learn is going to come from an ant. And the example is that of the diligence of the ant, like the ant. Gets it. The ant instinctively knows when it's time for work and when it's time for rest. And the sluggard is so such a brute, man, such a doofus, right? That it's like he can't discern when it's time to work and when it's time to rest. And because of that, because of him loving sleep and slumber, and instead of working, his hands are folded in front of him at rest, he's going to come to poverty. It's going to be harvest time, and he's going to be asleep, and he will have nothing for the winter. But the ant, the ant, the ant gets it. The ant gets it. Proverbs 19.15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer. An idle person will suffer. Proverbs 20.13, love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Again, this is a portrait of someone who loves their bed too much. Loves their sleep. They can't get out of bed. They're sleeping their life away. And they're leaving the important things undone. Those who love sleep, they waste time. They squander opportunities to be productive and look at their outcome. They'll go hungry. They'll be impoverished. This is a funny picture Painted of the sluggard in Proverbs twenty six fourteen, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. I mean, it'd be funny if it wasn't so disastrous, right? But th- think of that picture right here. The lazy person is seen as someone like a door. What does a door on its hinge do? Opens, it closes, right? It just turns, but it, does it go anywhere? No, it doesn't go anywhere, right? This individual... Loves the snooze button. Some of you love that snooze button. The average person, I was reading an article there, just kind of did a quick search on this. Three to four times hits the snooze button. Right? Sometimes they just go off. (laughs) I don't want to hear it anymore. And they just continue sleeping here, right? They love the snooze button, right? But the alarm goes off. They turn over, hit the snooze. They turn right back over and back to bed. No movement. You can't earn a living if you're sleeping your life away. You cannot be productive if you love sleep. The snooze button is not your friend. It's not your friend. In fact, there have been medical and scientific studies done on this. Right? You hearing your alarm go off is like a hit of endorphins in your body. You get startled. Your blood pressure elevates a little bit. And then you should be getting up there. But what do you do? You hit the snooze button and go back to bed. And most snooze buttons are defaulted at nine minutes, right? Ten minutes is the time typically someone starts entering into deeper sleep, right? So nine minutes kind of jolts you back up again. And again, another hit of endorphin, and then you turn over. And that actually has debilitating effects on the body. It's not a good thing to snooze once, twice, three, four, five, six, seven times. I know some people do it. Uh, Many, many times, okay? But as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. Sleep is not productivity. It's not work. And we need to sleep, right? A third of our life should be spent at rest and sleep. God designed for us to do that. And it's difficult in our world today. In the ancient world, it's very simple. Sun starts to come up, that's when you get up. Sun starts going down, that's the time to go to sleep. Now we're in a 24-7 world, right? So people have different sleeping habits. Some, some people are working later shifts. Some people have to get up really early to go to work. And that really rep, uh, wrecks, you know, our sleep cycles and rhythms, right? So we need rest. This is not advocating to, for you to be a workaholic and never sleep. But when the seven or eight hours that we need turns into 10, 11, 12, 13 and more, that's a problem. That's a problem. 
right? The second uh, theme we want to look at here is that the sluggard has difficulty with work, right? The first part of that is that the sluggard has difficulty with starting work, just even getting it off the ground. Proverbs 14, 23, in all toil, there is profit, but mere talk lends to poverty, right? Generally, if you work, there's a gain, You put in some hours, you're doing some hard work, some labor, there's a task that's completed, there's a project that's finished, right? You've exchanged your labor for your paycheck, right? There's products and services that have been delivered, there's a recompense, there's gain, there's profit, right? At least you'll eat, is the point here. But the sluggard is all talk and no action. What's their favorite lines? I'll get around to it. I'm going to do it. Hey, what are you going to do? I'm going to do it. And they never get to it. Lazy people can talk a great game. Oh, they can talk about their dreams and their plans, their ideas, their ambitions. And that, you know, just waiting for the right time to get it going. And they never get it going. It's like the ship's captain who's got great plans to settle off for adventure in a far away distant land, but the ship never leaves port. The work doesn't get done. Proverbs 20 verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Again, the lazy person does not work when they should be working. This is a key, key principle I want you to understand. Sometimes we just say laziness is someone who does nothing. No, no, no. You can actually be busy and be lazy because you're not doing the right thing at the right time, right? But here we see that they're doing everything but what they should be doing, right? So you can, you can have activity in your life but still be lazy from this perspective of Solomon here because, again, it's doing the right thing at the right time, right? When it's harvest time, what should you be doing? Harvesting. When it's time to, to, to plant and to plow, that, that's what you should be doing at that time. And that's the, that's the point here, right? Um, some people put the pro in procrastinating. Like they're expert procrastinators. They thrive on it. They think that if I wait till the very last moment to get something done, that's when I get my burst of energy. There's something wrong with that, though. There's something wrong with that. That's not, that's not God's order and design. Typically, what the procrastinator is doing is they're productive at doing things that they don't need to do, right? So they're not doing what needs to get done. They're just very effective at doing everything but what needs to get done, and they put off what has to be done at the moment, right? And, and that's something we have to really consider and evaluate, right? We wait to the last moment to get everything started. Some of you start your schoolwork at the very last moment, Right before it needs to get done, you're burning the midnight oil. You got a project at work and you wait till the very last moment to, 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 to get it going because just doing other stuff. Maybe scrolling social media too much, watching videos, or working on other things but what you should be working at the moment. So not only do they have a problem starting work, they have a problem finishing Proverbs 12, 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Now, again, here's another great uh, word picture being put out for us here. The idea of someone who actually takes the time to hunt, actually catches a prey, and then does nothing with it. So he's got the game, but what he doesn't want to do now is to process it and prep and get a good fire going and roast it so he has something Uh, To eat, it's kind of absurd. Many of us have unfinished projects in our lives. Unfinished projects at home, unfinished projects at work. Things we started and then abandoned for whatever reason, right? How many have had great ideas and they've started the the process of researching and planning, but then i got to actually do the work now, and that's just a little too much. And so we neglect it, we abandon it, and we don't execute. Unfortunately, this kind of slothfulness carries over into our spiritual lives. So we make all these plans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the Bible this year. Or I'm going to read through the Scripture. I'm going to study. I'm going to get up at X hour and, and begin to pray or, or do something. And we might do it a couple of times, but then it gets a little too hard and... We 
do not finish. And we're all the more poorer because of this, right? But the diligent, it tells us here, they're enriched because they execute. They finish what they start. And that is a quality that we must possess as God's people. Proverbs 26.15, another funny image here. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> Again, I mean, think, think about that for a moment. You got your fork in hand. You put it in your bowl. You scoop it, and that's where it stops. You're like, I'm too tired to eat. Oh, I remember Arielle when she was a little toddler saying, you know, I don't want to eat. And you have to help them eat, right? Let's, I just got this picture here of a, an adult doing this and saying, somebody help me eat, you know, feed me, you know. Think about this. This individual has what he needs right in front of them. They have what they want, what's necessary for their sustenance and survival, but they won't reach out to take it. It's too hard. It's too exhausting. It's too tiring to eat. The lazy person always wants others to do things for them or to do things that require the minimum amount of effort exerted. Right? That's not a good quality. We have to be diligent in our work. That means we actually get off the ground and we finish what we started. We complete what we say we're going to do and set off to do. But not so with the sluggard. Our third theme, the sluggard makes an idol, I-D-O-L, out of being idle, I-D-L-E. The sluggard's God is his sleep. The sluggard worships their leisure. And their pleasure. They work hard at being about that. And not about what they should be doing. In fact, we'll see the Proverbs tell us here that they follow worthless pursuits. Proverbs 12 verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Again, if you get up every day and you go to work, you'll have plenty to eat. You won't go hungry. But not the sluggard. They're fools. They lack sense. They want pleasure. They're following everything else that continues to perpetuate their ease, comfort, and pursuit of pleasure. Now, there's a time for leisure. There's a time for for enjoying the pleasurable things about life. We know God's Word commends that to us. God has given us a beautiful and, and, and great world to enjoy. Okay? He's given us wonderful pleasures in life to to pursue and go after, but they can't be primary or ultimate things in our life. The lazy person lacks the sense to discern that his love of worthless pursuits and pleasure will eventually lead to poverty and ruin. I think of a lot of things in the world today as worthless pursuits, and they can be to an individual. Why are get-rich-quick schemes so prevalent? Because people, you know, believe the false promises of, I really don't have to work hard. With very little effort and very little uh, investment, I will be a multimillionaire. I will be sailing my yacht around the world, right? And money is just going to be going into my bank account automatically. How many young people, here's what they want to do in life today. What, what do you want to do? It's not a trade. It's not a profession. I want to be an influencer, I want to, yeah, I want to be an Instagram influencer, social media influencer, a YouTube uh, influencer. Why? The perception is to do something I just for fun, and it's going to immediately translate into just endless wealth, so that I can continue pursuit pleasure. And we know that's not the case. Mindless social media scrolling is a worthless pursuit that plays into this. Idol, this idolatry of idleness here, right? It does not enhance your life. Not generally. You may learn things from it. That's all great and good. But generally, it doesn't enhance your life or make you more diligent. What it does, it plays to our tendency to put off what needs to get done. And I think many of us here can attest to that. I'm guilty as charged. Oh, man, I really don't want to get that thing started. Oh, 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 wow, cool. Like, mm, share. Boop, 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 boop. And then I'm like, 
whoa, two hours have gone by. What, where did those things go? Right? We, we've all been there. Now, you don't have to admit it. I'm the only sinner here. All right. <laughs> right? Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Again, Solomon's not saying don't enjoy the good things of life. Wine, oil, uh, that terminology has to do with, with a fest, a, like a festival, a feast, right? Uh, oil was used for anointing. It was a perfumed oil. And wine, well, you know that. That makes a man's heart merry, okay? Good things in life. We're to enjoy those things, right? And he's not saying here that everything is about work with no time for leisure. But what wisdom tells us and teaches us is that humans have a tendency to take good things and make them God things. Take the good and pleasurable things of life that God gives us in his goodness, and we make those ultimate things in our heart. And these things can become like an addiction, the pursuit of pleasure and worthless pursuits. The one who chases pleasure as an end in and of itself sees that inevitably becoming a vice in their life. Think about Paul here who catalogs a list of vices and sins that mark godlessness in the last days. And you can, you can read that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But he describes these people that as lovers of self, lovers of money. And look at this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's the lazy individual that he is describing there. The average person, sadly, in our culture today, in our world today is like that. Addicted to entertainment addicted to leisure they've taken good things and made them idols again the amount of time the average person dedicates to entertainment and leisure uh, can be classified as idolatrous I, i don't think many of us realize how much time we dedicate to those things right think about people's statements all the time they live for the weekend Right? They, they work, they earn with one motive in mind, right? To spend it on their entertainment and leisure. They work at their play and play at their work. I was reading a recent article uh, regarding Gen Z, those currently between the ages of like around 10 to 25 years old. So, you know, think about older teens and young adults. But they spend half their waking hours with their faces glued to their screens. It's a long time. But it's not just them. It's a lot of the older generations as well, right? We always want to look at the young people and go, oh, they're doing No, no, it's uh, others following suit, but they have the highest number of hours, over seven plus hours a day on average, most of it dedicated to consuming video content. That's a, that's a long time. It's just, it's a lot of hours. That's a full-time job right there, dedicated to that. Now, you know who loves that? Other than the person glued to their screen? Well, the content producers, the media outlets, advertisers, right? They want more of that. And they're going to continue to drive content that keeps people addicted to their devices this way. And that's what's happening here. We've conditioned people into taking their God-given energy. Remember, this is something God has hardwired into the heart. He has given you and I energy to be productive and to work. Every single one of us. So but what we're doing is conditioning to take that energy that should be put into productive work and turned it into a lifestyle of mindless consumption that has no net gain for the individual. We don't have to wonder why we have the outcomes that we do. Why does no one want to work? Well, why work? I'm getting my fix another way. Whether it's playing games, video games, to all hours of the night, and then they're they're, they're just worthless at their work the next day. I mean, we see that. It's a problem today. Some of you see that in, in your own work environments there. Instead of getting a dopamine hit, from accomplishing a task, completing a project, learning a new skill, and doing meaningful work, what happens? Those who love pleasure take that energy, right? Turn it inwards, turn it to their ease and comfort and and everything that perpetuates that, and then they get a dopamine hit, right, from what? Latest viral video, a meme, the latest drop from their favorite content producer. That's not how we're meant to live, brothers and sisters. 
And it is having devastating consequences. But here, what do we see? Doing things according to God's order enriches. Making an idol out of our idleness impoverishes. Number four, the sluggard always has an excuse. Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, I love this one. There is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. <laughs> Just think about that. Only lazy people come up with the most creative excuses to not work. There is a lion outside. Come on now. <laughs> I, I can't go work the fields. There's a lion. I'm going I'm to be eaten. I'm going to be killed, right? Excuses, excuses, excuses. The lazy person's life is marked by excuses to justify their idleness. Right? At some point, you're going to run out of excuses, right? For why things are left undone, why the house is in disorder, why you haven't completed your homework or completed your school projects or your work projects, why you haven't started that business. Ultimately, we're going to have to give account for that to the Lord and to those who depend, who depend on us. It's amazing how many people say they're looking for work out there, but there's always an excuse for why they can't do it or they can't get a job or they don't put any effort into doing that, right? I don't know how many people I've counseled over time or they've come saying, man, I need some help. You know, the church needs to help. I, I, need, I need, all right, are you working? No. Okay, all right. Why aren't you working? Oh, I got fired. Why'd you get fired? I was showing up late, okay? Are you looking for work right now? No. Why not? Well, I can't find anything that can utilize my skills. Oh, I found a job, but that's kind of beneath me. You know, I'm, I'm overqualified for that job. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity to come along. Well, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity to be able to help you, but I can't help you until you get that right opportunity, right, that shows up. Why? Because you're lazy. You're lazy. And, and I love this because the scripture shows us here, we don't just help people indiscriminately. Not just everyone who wants a helping hand actually should get a helping hand if they are not working. In fact, Paul goes on to encourage the church that way, right? If a man doesn't work, let him not eat. Because idleness is a sin. Unrepentant and impenitent idleness is wickedness, Right? It's detrimental, though. That's why we need wisdom to help. Who can, who can we help? Well, we know the Scripture tells us who to help. It also tells us who not to help. Right? And that's one of the things that you, that you see here. Those, they make excuses for not working. Right? But that comes, again, that has spiritual implications, too. How many make excuse, excuses for why they're not praying? I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Word. I, I don't have time to fellowship. I don't have time to, to serve or to help. Make excuses. Our kids make those excuses. Parents, you have an enormous responsibility to help your children in this aspect, knowing that this tendency is in the human heart. When our kids make excuses for why they're not getting things done and doing things done, we have a responsibility to help them in this area. This is why I said earlier, it's kind of funny, but I forgot is not a good excuse. When your child continually says, I forgot, you need to remind them that it's their responsibility to remember, not yours. What are we teaching our kids when we give them an instruction? We're teaching them to obey God by obeying us. Okay? But if you let them make excuses for why they're never remembering to do the things assigned to them to do or the tasks that you ask them to do, we're, we are laying the groundwork for their disobedience. It's their responsibility to remember, not yours. That's why I said earlier, it's not cute after a while. Maybe once or twice. But when that becomes a persistent, habitual pattern in their, in their life, we need to remember these things and, and teach them their responsibilities here because the, the inevitability of the life of laziness is one of ruin and destruction. Fifth, the sluggard has unfulfilled desires. Let's look at these two Proverbs. Proverbs 13.4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 21, 25 through 26. So you first you had the craving right, of the sluggard. Here it says, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. 
So there's the sluggard craves, desires things, right? But their desire inevitably leads to their death. To help us understand this, Bruce Waltke in his commentary wrote, The appetite keeps normal people alive by driving them to work to satisfy it. But it kills the sluggard because his hands refuse to satisfy it. His unfulfilled craving kills him both by starvation and frustration. Think about that for a moment. God has put appetites within us. Chief of which is when your stomach starts growling, what do you want to do? Eat. Yeah. In order to eat, we have to get food. We have to buy food. We have to prepare it. We have to do something. Those appetites, those cravings that are hardwired into our flesh and into our biology is what? Meant to drive us to work to satisfy that craving. So both the diligent person has that and so does the sluggard. The problem with the sluggard is they have that craving, but they refuse to work to satisfy it. And what happens? Those desires and those cravings intensify and ultimately end up destroying them. All of that God-given energy put in them to do productive work, when that goes untapped and underutilized, the lazy person then selfishly turns that energy towards their own personal comfort and ease and slothfulness, and then all they have left are these unsatisfied and unfulfilled desires. They want, but they won't work to get it. And the less that they spend in productive work and engage in productive work, the more those desires grow. They get bigger and bigger. They want more and they want more, but they're getting less and less. What happens then? What happens to the individual who who has this energy and these cravings, but slothfulness takes over? What ends up happening is that they end up indulging their sinful desires. God made us as powerful beings and productive beings. And laziness, again, goes against this God-ordained design. And when we go against God's ordained design, those appetites, those cravings lead us to sin. Charles Spurgeon, writing um, in a short work that he wrote called John Plowman's Talk, Plain Advice for Plain People, wrote this about the idol. And again, just listen to these words. A man who wastes his time and his strength in sloth offers himself to be a target for the devil, who is, wonderfully good, uh, who is a wonderfully good rifleman and will riddle the idler with his shots. In other words, idle men tempt the devil to tempt them. He who plays when he should work has an evil spirit to be his playmate, and he who neither works nor plays is a workshop for Satan. Pretty sobering, isn't it? You've heard the old saying, right? Idle hands are the devil's playground or the devil's workshop. That's the point of this Proverbs here. You're not spending the energy God has given you to something productive, to work, to satisfy the cravings and desires we have. Eventually, those things continue to intensify. And because they're still unmet, we turn to our carnal appetites and our sinful appetites and indulge in those Young men have been given enormous energy by God to be channeled into productive endeavors. To work hard, to build, to subdue, to take dominion. God made them that way. What happens when they're not productive? What happens when they're not expending energy in a productive way, but it's, they're lazy? Again, they're playing games, social media, you know, doing anything but productive work. What they're doing is turning that energy into then pursuing their lustful cravings and appetites of the flesh, and they fall generally into sexual sin. Now, porn use is prevalent amongst all age groups, but especially among young men. Why is that? Well, if someone has a lot of idle time because of a lack of productivity, again, this is where that proverb plays out. They've got energy. And that energy is turned into their slothfulness, their cravings, their appetites are unmet, and they turn to this uh, sexual sin. Idleness has given way to intensifying and unfulfilled cravings that must be indulged. 
what would a normal young man with enormous amounts of energy who has appetites, sexual appetites, do? Well, by God's design, what are they to do? They're to pursue a woman, to get married, to cultivate an intimate relationship with their spouse and channel that energy in that direction and have his desires and appetites and cravings fulfilled. But not the lazy person. Now, the lazy person is a lot easier to turn that energy because I want to be lazy and idle to pornography and... Well, I'm I'm getting something with a lack of commitment. There's no commitment. There's no work. I don't have to do anything for it. When someone is bored, they'll inevitably run to the sin of appetite. This is why we can't have so much idleness in our life. Because of this particular thing in us, we need to recognize how God made us and the energy gave us and what we're to put that into. So when our kids tell us that they're bored, how many of your kids always say, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored? Okay, we, all, we, get, we do get bored. Excessive amounts of boredom, though, it's, a, it's something to be careful of. And you have to help steer your children to, to begin to do something productive. Because the person who's always bored is a lazy person. Again, we don't like to look at it that way. A bored person is like, I need someone to entertain me, to do something for me, and I don't want to spend any work doing it. So entertain me, get me something to do because I'm bored. It's a failure of imagination. It's a failure of work. And we have to pay attention to those things, even in our own hearts and life. If we're like, I'm bored, but you're probably not working. You're probably not doing a productive thing that you should be doing in the moment, right, because you want to just... Going to cruise control, and, and it's more about our comfort and ease in our heart. Six, the sluggard brings ruin on themselves and others. First, let's talk about how the sluggard brings ruin on themselves. Proverbs twelve twenty four, The hand of the diligent will rule. We looked at that last week, but here's the second part. While the slothful will be put to forced labor. If we're diligent in our work, generally we're going to be recognized, we're going to be rewarded, and oftentimes we'll be promoted. We'll be given uh, greater responsibility, right? And even greater freedoms in the scope of the things that we do. Maybe your manager, your supervisor won't micromanage you, right? Because, man, you're a great, diligent employee. I don't have to worry about you. But not so with the slothful person. Not so with, with a lazy individual, right? What happens to them? They're enslaved. They're put into forced labor. Now, in ancient times, this, this is the, applica- the context here, right? If you owed a debt, you could be forced, you and your family could be forced uh, in, into some type of servitude as a slave, forced labor, right? That doesn't generally happen in our Western culture, but that still happens in other parts of the world, right? It's not like something that's gone away here. But, but the point here is that the lazy person will find that they have less and less freedom, you know, because of their laziness, their, their, their unproductivity in their work, you know, maybe they get fired. Or because they don't want to work, maybe they start racking up credit card debt. And guess what? Being in debt to someone makes you a slave. The borrower is slave to the lender, Proverbs says. Okay? Proverbs fifteen nineteen: the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. And you ever try to... Work your way through a forest with dense vegetation, and especially ones that have thorns. How difficult that is. How painful that is to to walk through that. That's kind of the imagery here. He's talking about the way, the life, the path, the road that the sluggard is on. It's hard to get out of that once you, that becomes the pattern of your life. And, and trying to get out of that, you have to understand, a life of laziness, a pattern of laziness, will have repercussions that will last for many, many years in your life. This is why wisdom dictates to us that we contemplate our actions, think our actions through, think about the consequences in the long term of our decisions and of our actions, because they do have an impact, they do have consequences and repercussions. And the sluggard's consequences last for many, many years. And getting out of that is painful and difficult. We have to own up to our responsibilities to engage in whatever sphere God has entrusted us and be productive in that area. All, all of it. 
Whether you're a father, a mother, a a, a student, whether you're an employee or you're a business owner, God has given you a sphere of which you are to be responsible for and held accountable for. And while we're in it, we need to work into what we've been given to do and do it productively. That's our responsibility. And we have to own up to that. The longer, though, you persist in laziness, the deeper and deeper and denser those thorny hedges are that you're going to need to walk through and work your way out of. This is the warning for us here. If we're on that path, right, we need to work our way out of that onto the, onto the way of wisdom here. But look at the path of wisdom for the righteous. It says that their path is not a hedge, hedge of thorns. It's a level highway. I'll take a level highway any day of the week, right? Over these hedge of thorns. Proverbs 19.15. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep. Again, there's that idea. Laziness, sleep, right? And an idle person will suffer hunger. Again, hunger, impoverishment, difficulty in life, consequences of laziness. Lazy person's life is a life of disorder and chaos. And it's not just financial ruin or economic ruin or, uh, you, you know, employment, but spiritual also. We, we can't divorce the two. In fact, the life of laziness flows out of one's spiritual life and the condition of your spiritual life. Again, we think of a lazy person as someone who does nothing, generally. But that doing nothing, even that that we think of it, is not neutral. By doing nothing, the lazy person is bringing greater ruin to their lives, and sadly, not just to their own lives, to the lives of those around them and those that depend on them. So the sluggard not only injures themselves, but others also. Proverbs 10, 4, and 5, we've seen this already. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Those who need us and depend on us lose out because of our laziness. It's, it's not neutral. In the case of a son here, which is, the, which is the context of this time, whose labor was necessary for the family's survival, especially during harvest, this was a big deal. The wise son would be out there doing what he's supposed to do, working when he's supposed to work, but the slack hand of the lazy person is not. They're sleeping when they should be working, and now they've brought shame to their family, and they've injured their family. You need to consider how your laziness is hurting those around you and those who depend on you. It's not just you that's impacted. It's others around you. Proverbs ten twenty six, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Think of that. Like vinegar. I don't know. I've not drank vinegar. I've had it on things. But it doesn't smell good. I don't like the smell of it, so I can't imagine what it's. On the teeth, it tastes like, like that, right? But the imagery is something bitter, right? Or when you get smoke in your eyes. You ever go around a bonfire and it wafts up into you, and then your eyes are all, you know, you can't even see out of it. That's the imagery here of what the lazy person is like to those who send him, those who depend on him. That could be family members. That could be their employees or their employer, right? The point is that that lazy person is annoying, is unpleasant, It's frustrating to be around, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. There are many women who have grown to despise their husbands, finding him to be bitter vinegar because the husband hasn't stepped up to his responsibilities to lead their home, to lead their families. And they see their husbands as lazy. They never get things done. They've been asked time and time again to fix this or fix that or please do this or please do that or please do this for the kids or do that for the kids. And it's always, yes, I'm going to do it, and they never get around to do it. However, he's got time for his hobbies and entertainment and other things. There are many men who have grown to find their wives to be like smoke in their eyes because they're not taking their place alongside their husbands as helpmates. They're too busy with their own personal engagements and endeavors. Or maybe they're busybodies, meddling in other areas that they have no business being involved in and neglecting their husband and their home. Maybe they're over-engaged outside the home and under-engaged in the home. All of those things are laziness. 
And all of those have an impact on the people who depend on us and are around us. So we don't want to be a bitter taste. We don't want to be annoying or frustrating. We need to own up to our responsibilities and engage where God has given us the responsibility to engage in. Proverbs 18.9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. This one is startling. Because the sluggard, the lazy person here is compared to a violent person. One who destroys. And laziness is like violence. Think about it. Violence works pretty quick. Laziness works out a little bit slower. But sometimes the outcome is the same. I think of parents who, who their careers are more important than their children. And they put everything they have into their work and into their careers to the neglect of their children. And we know that abuse, right, is, is the neglect of our children. It's, it's considered abuse. It's the same thing. I think of an employee who steals from their employer through their, through their lack of productivity, through the time that they waste you know, at work instead of doing meaningful, productive work. It's the same as if that, if that, you know, that business was robbed. Why? Because that employee, that lazy employee has cost them lost revenue. It's a serious thing. It's a big deal. And I, that's how Proverbs is laying this out for us. We're almost done. Proverbs twenty six sixteen: The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Everyone else knows the person's a fool except the fool. Because in his own estimation, he's the smartest dude in the room. Right? The smartest woman in the room. But his folly is as plain as the nose on his face. He just can't see it himself. There's an arrogance, there's, a, there's a sinful pride in the lazy person who's always justifying themselves. Man, and that laziness is so prevalent in our culture today. It's the entitlement mentality we see everywhere. And don't you experience that when you go to a restaurant, you, you know, you go get some service performed, and you got some person back there like, you're doing them the greatest favor by even talking to them. Right? They, they feel like entitled to work. Into a paycheck without doing much work. We see that in the attitude of those who depend on handouts or bailouts. They want other people to take care of them. Why should I have to work? The government's got a lot of money. Right? Oh, it's the church's responsibility to take care of my needs. But again, they won't get a job. So how do we overcome laziness? How do we get out of this thing? How do we move back to the path of diligence that we're supposed to be on and see our way out of these thorny hedges of laziness? Let me just give you four quick things here. The first is to repent. To repent of our laziness. We need to see, brothers and sisters, this lazy pattern perhaps in our hearts here is a destructive pattern of sin. Call it what it is. Don't excuse it away. Don't make light of it. Don't blame someone else, right? The lazy person is always blaming someone else. No, no, no. Take, take responsibility and take yourself into account for this. Begin to see how your laziness has led you to excuse away your sinful behavior and to recognize how laziness not only has hurt you, but it's hurt others around you as well. It's hurt them. Proverbs 3, 7 reminds us, Be not wise in our own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. To turn is to repent, isn't it? It's what repent involves in, involves. Turning away from and turning to. In this case, we're turning away from our sinful sloth, our laziness, right? The evil that it is, and what? We turn to the Lord, to the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Second thing is to determine to work to the glory of God. Christ has redeemed our work don't forget that, brothers and sisters. First of all, we were made for work, but Christ has redeemed us and redeemed our work in the process. And we've been given good work to do in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that. We've been created in Him, right? His workmanship created in Him to do good works, which He fashioned beforehand for us to do. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, whatever, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Who do we work for? It's for the Lord. It's not yourself, if you're self-employed. It's not for your employer, that corporation, the CEO. You work for the Lord. 
everything that we do, whatever you do, you're to do it heartily and with thanksgiving and gratitude because you're not working for man, you're working for the Lord and doing it unto the Lord. And that's why then we can offer our work as worship to God. Titus 3.14, let our people learn to devote themselves to what? To good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Some of your translations say unproductive. We are commanded to be productive and fruitful and work this way unto the Lord and for his glory. The third thing, redeem the time. Redeem the time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice he's talking about the same thing. We need to walk in wisdom here. As wise sons and daughters of God, maximizing the time, redeeming the time. Why? Because we recognize and discern the day, the time that we live in. We understand the will of God. We, we understand that we need to do what we're supposed to do at the right time. When we're supposed to work, we're at work. There's a time for play. There's a time for leisure. But work is work. And we're doing it unto the Lord. We prioritize what needs to be done over what we want to do. That means prioritizing our spiritual walk. Because everything else flows from this. When you neglect your spiritual life. When you neglect those disciplines that build us up unto godliness. Guess what? You'll fall into these ruts. You'll fall into these same patterns of of wasting time and squandering time. And worthless pursuits. We need to live with an eternal perspective. The days are evil. The days are evil. And the Lord is coming soon. And we need to remind ourselves of that. The practical things. What do you need to do in your life to get out of this rut of laziness and make yourself productive? There's a lot of wonderful resources I could recommend to you. Um, YouTube channels wholly devoted to, to productivity and all these things. If you're interested in that... Come see me, you know, but, but think about what you need to do in your personal life. Maybe you need to declutter things in your life, declutter your workspace, declutter your mind, right? <laughs> Focus on the right things, um, you know, declutter your workspace. For heaven's sake, get out of bed earlier. That alarm clock goes off, get, you put your feet on the ground. Pop out of bed and say, I'm going to work unto the Lord today for the glory of God and to the glory of God. Get up earlier to pray. If you say you don't have time to pray, you do. Just get up earlier. Like, this is not hard, right? This is, I'm not going to tell you anything that's, that's rocket science here. It's just we have to fight against this tendency of laziness in our heart, of ease and comfort. Like, this is the most comfortable time in human history. Have you thought about that? This falls, plays right into our own sinful desires. I just want a life of comfort and ease. Leave me alone. Nobody bother me. Somebody do stuff for me so I don't have to work, you know. Somebody just drop money into my bank account, right? So I have to get up early. Get out of bed, right? There's lots of apps you can use, right, to schedule your life, you know, to, to list out all of the most important things you need to do that day, you know. Uh, how to schedule and, and organize projects. There's tons of resources at our disposal. Pick one and, and just do it. And do it. Fourth and most important, we need to look to Christ. We need to look to Christ. First to his example. We've already seen Christ's example of his work, right? Nothing lazy in Jesus. Nothing lazy about the life of Jesus. He did everything his father sent him to do. Everything his father commanded him to do, every work given him to do, he completed it to perfection. So at the cross, he could declare his work was complete. It was finished. He accepted full responsibility. So we can look to him as our example of diligence. But ultimately, we know we cannot measure up to that standard of diligence. And certainly of the promises to the righteous that are found in Proverbs here. We read this just a little while ago, Proverbs 21, 25, and 26. 
The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but look at this. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. In contrast to the sluggard, the righteous is generous. The righteous gives and gives and gives and withholds nothing. But you and I know we're not this righteous person. And you know that we cannot be righteous of our own efforts and work. But there's one who has given, who is righteous and does not hold back. And the only way we can become righteous is by trusting that only righteous one, Jesus Christ. He gives, doesn't hold back. He offered himself up, brothers and sisters, for our laziness. For our sinful laziness. He embraced the responsibility for our sins that you and I did not embrace for ourselves. You won't work yourself out of that hedge of thorns you've, you've gotten into through that destructive life of laziness, those patterns of laziness. We won't get out of that without looking to Christ. We won't get out of that without turning to Him for salvation. But here's the promise for us, because Christ the righteous one did not hold back in His redeeming work. We have forgiveness for our laziness. And we have the righteousness that we need to live productive lives to the glory of God.